Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? I'm doing well. Today on the show, we have Sebastian Kitchen, who is the executive director of the Kentucky Democratic Party. I will be honest with you. I have worked with Sebastian Kitchen in booking other people for this show, and it was just really weird to have him on the show with us. Uh, So he was great. He talked to us about what the party is doing in advance of the election that's now coming up in just a few months, kind of uh, all of the efforts that are underway, uh, how to loop in with them, how to even get hired on part-time work uh you know or full-time jobs with the party uh in that in the rest of the this election cycle but then we also talked about legislative elections next year and we talked about the party reorganization which is supposed to be happening um sometime soon as well a lot of big wide-ranging topics but he was very open he was willing to answer all of our questions and i i was really glad to have him i learned a lot um and i, I yeah and I, I hope you did too jasmine what did you think yeah, I always like when we do these interviews with people who are, are working behind the scenes of things. And it was cool to hear about what the party's doing for this campaign. And it, um, I'm sure that the people who work for the party are getting really, really tired right now. Yeah. Um, but it made me like pretty excited about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hot outside right now. So if you're knocking on doors, uh, it is something else. Uh, I- I've had a lot of good experiences knocking doors this year. I said canvassing for Andy Bashir in Louisville is like easy mode canvassing. It's like you knock on the door. People are like, what do you want? And be like, I'm here to support the governor. Like, oh, my gosh, come on in. Like, I'll give you a glass of water. <laughs> it's uh, It's been fun. Um, so and I-, and I made this point also uh, in the interview, but I'll make it now. Uh, as the show is starting just to say like if you're interested in working in politics if you're interested in learning what this is like this is a great great opportunity right now there's a lot of jobs that are available they're hiring a lot of people uh, and you can learn how to do stuff like cut turf like how to canvas how to how to organize volunteers how to uh, you know set up events all that kind of stuff you can get that experience under your belt in a, a really exciting campaign uh, that has a lot of support that has a lot of money um, and, and and can do that and, and you, you can apply that later on in, in whatever you want to do do whatever races you want to help run so definitely listen to that interview get a sense of what is going on there and if you're so inclined like you know join up do what you do what you uh do what you want uh, but before we get to that interview we do have a couple of stories to talk about so jasmine is going to talk to us a little bit about the brewing U, uh, uaw strike against ford and potentially all of the i mean in the the kentucky angle is certainly a, a, about ford because they have such a large presence here in louisville um but but the uaw strike maybe even broader than that she's going to be talking to us a little bit about that and then i have a significant number of quick hits that we can get to so without any further ado jasmine tell us about this potential strike on the horizon all right so We know that UPS avoided a strike from the Teamsters earlier this summer, but now UAW, uh, the United Auto Workers, and UAW Local 862 uh, at the Ford Louisville Assembly Plant and Kentucky Truck Plant could possibly go on strike. And this has been brewing for a little while, but things are kind of heating up, so we figured that we would talk about it on the show. Um, So... Ford is the largest employer of UAW workers and Kentucky employs more hourly UAW workers than any state with a Ford plant. Um, Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. More than than Michigan even. That's kind of crazy. So the international union is in the middle of negotiations with Ford, GM and Stellantis and the contract 
and the current contract ends on September 14th. Two weeks ago, there was a nationwide strike authorization vote, um, which our local was part of. The national vote passed with 97% and 99% of local 862 voted to authorize the strike. And um, since then, workers have participated in practice pickets. So some of the things that are at issue um, during contract negotiation. So one is eliminating tiered work, wage increases, restoration of cost of living adjustments or the COLA, um, pensions, retiree medical benefits, the right to strike over plant closures, um, eliminating abuse of temp workers and other things. But the COLA has been a major issue. So COLAs were suspended back in 2009 um, during like the, the 2008 recession and workers want to bring that back. Ford says that general wage increases plus inflation bonuses far exceed the benefits that the COLA would provide. Um, if what they're, if what they're offering would exceed that, I don't know why they wouldn't just yeah. give them that. Um, I, but so, so somehow I, I doubt their math on that. Um, I, I think it has more to do with, uh, like the predictability. Um, right. I think the issue is like, yeah, you know what? This year the benefit, the bonus, and this year the wage increase was was much higher than what you know a four or five percent cola would provide. But the thing is, with bonuses, it, it's 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 up to the discretion of the employer, and, and those can be taken away at any time. And no matter how often they're like, oh, you know, we've given it every year since two thousand and nine. It's like, okay, well, yeah. if two thousand and nine happens again, you know, we you can then be like, well, we had a bad year. Sorry, guys, we all got to pull together and make it so that we. Um, you know, can can do whatever. But if you have a COLA written into your contract, then they have to pay you. Um, and, and even if that's maybe less than what general wage increases and inflation bonuses might be, you know, it's a required payment that's part of your contract. And I think that's probably worth worth the fight. That's at least how it feels to me. Yeah. Um, UAW has also filed unfair labor charges against GM and Stellantis for refusing to bargain in good faith. Um, so those are pending before the NLRB and Ford's proposal of a 9% wage increase and a lump sum inflation bonus, um, was thrown in the trash according to Sean Fain, who is the UAW president. Um, (laughs) and, and so, that that's kind of where we stand um right now and so i i think that workers are seeking a 40 percent um wage increase and, and ford is offered nine percent with this lump sum inflation bonus instead of restoring the cola um, which hasn't been part of the contract since 2009 and so um you know that that's a lot less than what workers want um, yeah. right now and and Ford has rejected not just those things but um, a lot of their proposals at this point and so um, if they're if they are going to come to an agreement I think the company has to get um, pretty serious ab- about negotiating um, b- because they they've rejected a lot at this point or or I think you know we may end up seeing a strike I think as far as what the strike will look like, um, 
we don't know what the strategy is going to be. It may be that like one of these, one of the big three like suspense productions, so for GM or Stellantis, um, we don't know if it would be one of them, all three. So we don't know exactly what that is going to look like, um, but certainly that could end up including people at the Ford plant, the assembly plant or the Kentucky truck plant in Louisville. Um, and so that's something that we'll be watching. And, you know, stri striking is certainly hard on the workers too. They've been told um, to go ahead and start saving for a potential strike. They do have, you know, money for strike pay, but it's substantially less than what they would make as workers um, doing their job. So, so hopefully they get more of what they're wanting in their contract. Um, but if not, we um, may see a strike from UAW. Yeah, I, I totally agree that it's like it's bad for the economy, it's bad for the workers, it's bad for everybody. Strikes are bad for everybody. They're just that they're sometimes necessary. Um, and yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I I know you I totally agree with that, but I, that's I, that is a really important point because I do think, especially with the way that some people get sometimes, it's like you know you're not affected by a strike, you're not looking to buy a Ford car, so you don't. You're like, oh yeah, these workers are going to go on strike and it's going to be awesome, and it's like, no, it's really not. It really sucks to be on strike, uh, but but you know, hopefully they get get what they're owed. One thing I did want to make clear too, Stellantis is or Stellantis, I don't know how to say it, but that's the parent company. Of oh Chev yeah, I might be saying that. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, but it's the parent company of Chevrolet. So it used to be the big three were Ford, Chevy, and uh, GM. Ford, Chevy, and GM, and now Stellantis is owned by uh, is owned. Chevrolet, so that's why they're the, they're the big three now. Yeah, I mean this this all of these kind of things echo. They're echoing kind of the path of the UPS situation was in not that long ago, where you had the strike authorization, you had these practice pickets. I mean, I will say the UAW certainly has a different relationship with Ford uh, than than the Teamsters and UPS do. Uh, just generally, like I think, like I you know, I'd, people make jokes about the UAW officials like going golfing with the Ford people sometimes. But like, it seems like that this is this workers' movement and this union movement this year has really got some teeth, and people are really going to fight for what they think they're they're owed. And and I think that they are owed more, and and certainly hope that we can avoid a strike and that workers can get what's owed to them. But we will see what what we get cooking here in a little bit. Yeah. Th thanks, Jasmine. Anything else you mm -hmm. want to say about that? Nope, that's it. All right, let's do a couple quick hits before we get to our interview with Sebastian Kitchen. So COVID-19 is on the rise again in Kentucky and elsewhere. So just, you know, we used to do this every week, but uh, there has been a small spike in early 2023. Um, but before that, COVID had dropped to fewer than one hospital admission per 100,000 people in early July. It's kind of crazy how low it got. It was like almost, almost eradicated pretty much. And, and since then... Incidence has increased by five times. So we're up to, you know, about five admissions per 100,000 people in the hospital right now. Um, and and while that is a lot higher than it was just a couple of months ago, it's significantly below where it was at the beginning of this year before it, it, it turned down. Um, but, you know, they are, cases are on the rise again. I, you know, people in my family have gotten COVID. Uh, there's been a lot of that going around uh, in, in communities that I'm a part of. Um, so take precautions if you need to. Uh I'm, you know, I'm, I'm staying in because I don't feel great today, uh, and I go on anywhere, uh, even though I tested negative. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But certainly, just, just take the precautions that you need to. Uh, yeah. Okay. A few weeks ago, we mentioned how Mitch McConnell seemed to freeze in front of cameras while answering questions at a press conference. That happened again last week. McConnell froze up in northern Kentucky in late August, prompt, uh, prompting many to wonder if he will serve out his term. 
you know, it seems kind of crazy, but he does seem like he's in ill health. Um, his term doesn't end for three more years. I, I think the election's in 2026 for him. Um, and, and there is a law that says that, that the governor must choose any replacement from a list provided by the outgoing senator's political party. So right now the law is that a Governor Bashir would have to uh, take what the political party gives him in terms of like the three people that he could appoint and then take them. There is a significant uh, you know, constitutionality question there. Um, and a lot of people have been trying to make that into like uh, uh, like a, an issue. Andy Bashir is playing his cards very close to the chest, saying that he believes Mitch McConnell uh, will when he says that he will serve out the rest of his term. Um, Jasmine, you're kind of like shaking your head. What were you thinking about that? That it would seem like there is a constitutionality question there. Yeah, I think the issue is that. Uh, like, uh, you know, the, the Constitution provides for the governor's ability to select the replacement. Um, and this is a regular, like, this is a limit on that power that the legislature puts in place. And mm-hmm. I, that's that's the argument, right? So it would have to yeah. be, it would kind of have to be adjudicated. Because they're not taking away the uh, governor's ability to choose. They just are restricting it. So um, that's a, that's an open question. It does seem like a, a, a good question, though. So we'll see. We'll see if whoever's governor is up for challenging it. Um, I would be... I don't know, I'd be kind of surprised if, if Andy Bashir did did do that. Moving on, uh, Kentucky's legislature passed a law a few years back which lowers taxes each year if a certain revenue threshold is met. We talked about that a lot at the beginning of the year because this threshold was met last year and the taxes dropped from 5 to 4.5%, and the legislature then dropped them again to 4%. So we, I think we've gone from like a 6 to a 4% income tax or something like that. Um, over the past couple of years, the threshold to lower the 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 uh, the tax again um, says that the state must have 10% of the annual budget in the rainy day fund, which we do, and then it also says that the state would have to have an equal amount of revenue under a 1% tax cut, which we do not. So that was the news this week um, that the state does not meet the requirements to lower taxes automatically from uh from four to three and a half percent so there will be no automatic reduction it is a budget uh year so the legislature could conceivably lower it again but i think they like the framework that they have um so they will probably leave it be for now that's at least my estimation so no automatic reduction in income taxes jasmine anything to say about that no (laughs) <laughs> All right, moving on to the last one. Uh, in the fallout of the JCPS bus debacle, early childhood education in JCPS was delayed indefinitely. Um, the program was slated to begin on August 23rd, but there has not been an announced start date for the district's pre-K program. So that is still not happening. It still hasn't started. Uh, and many parents have had to send their children back to daycare. So, um, you know, where they would have been doing pre-K in the JCPS system um, as part of their public school you know where they don't have to pay um they are now having to go back to daycare which is a financial burden and also like daycare is not pre-k pre-k is you know better for kids they learn more it's uh in the words of Josie raymond the silverest bullet we have for all of our societal problems uh and kids are not there which is a real problem um so you know it does seem like jcps has gotten a handle on a lot of the the transportation problems that plugged them earlier in the year but they we're not still not finished there are still disruptions happening especially around um you know pre-k so hopefully those get straightened out soon anything to say about that jasmine that would be really difficult if you're uh, a parent and you plan to put your kid in pre-k and 
they can't go. Um, so yeah, hopefully that does get figured out soon. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that's it for this part of the show. Let's get to our interview with Sebastian Kitchen. Go ahead. Sebastian Kitchen is the executive director of the Kentucky Democratic Party. Prior to taking on this role, he was the deputy communications director for Governor Andy Bashir. And um, before working in Kentucky, Sebastian worked for candidates across the country, including Julian Castro's run for the presidency and Doug Jones' U.S. Senate campaign. Um, prior to working in politics, he was a journalist and worked for several newspapers, including a stint with the Courier Journal. We asked him to talk to us about KDP's campaigns this year. So, Sebastian Kitchen, welcome to my old Kentucky podcast. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. This is my first time on, so I appreciate the invite from Robert, and I appreciate you, uh, Robert and Desmond, having me on. Yeah, absolutely. We're really thrilled to have you uh, to learn more about what, what KDP is doing this year, uh, as we are really kind of, it's now out, now after Labor Day, the uh, election cycle is in full swing. Um, but before we get into talking about that, we do kind of want to ask you just a little bit to, uh, about your role at KDP so that, you know, people who are listening may know who you are, what exactly you do. So uh, the KDP has both an executive director and a chairman. The chair is Coleman Elridge. You are the executive director. So what what is the difference there? What do you do? What does he do? And how, how does that, all that work? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question, Robert. And so, and some people ask me about this occasionally. I think that they, you know, try to figure out the, you know, the roles and, and kind of everybody's responsibilities. But first of all, Coleman and I work really, really well together. Um, and so, you know, try to stay on the same page and work together to, to move the party forward. And, and, you know, the ultimate goal for, for any, you know, local, state, national party is to elect Democrats. And so just to work together to do that. But as executive director, my biggest, focuses the day-to-day operations, you know, working with the staff, you know, working, um, you know, with the candidates, working with our allies, um, just on the, the day-to-day operations uh, of the party. The chair is a volunteer role. So for as much time as, as the chair puts in, uh, he is not compensated for that. Um, and so, um, you know, so I'm just here on a daily basis to, to, to keep the trains running. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of things to do to keep the trains running, it seems like, especially right around now. So we'll talk about that for sure. So before before you stepped into this role, which is very political, um, you work directly for state government. Um, so how does that how do, how do these two roles differ? How, how have you liked working in this role versus your, your previous goal, which was working, you know, you got your, your pay came from the Commonwealth of Kentucky? Yeah. Yeah, there are some similarities and there are some differences. You know, some folks outside of politics might look at it a little bit differently. I do consider both to be forms of public public service, although the one over there, um, you know, we're working for the voters. And the one, you know, currently as executive director, it, it is a political job. My, the, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that our number one priority is to elect Democrats. And so um, the, in the end, it's, it's the same boat of you both is, is trying to move Kentucky and the country forward. But, you know, the, there's, a, there's a couple, you know, uh, you know, when I worked uh, in state government, you know, working in that capital was was pretty amazing to be able to to walk into that rotunda and to walk into those doors uh, where I never saw Daniel Cameron uh, almost ever, um, by the way. Um, I know there was a lot of talk about that, but as somebody whose office was closer to Daniel Cameron's than Andy Bashir's, um, he did not show up to work a lot. So whether he swiped his fob or not, um, that said, I digress. Um, but to work <laughs> there in that beautiful building um, was was pretty amazing. And uh you know, and then just to work with with citizens of all stripes, and and I'd say, you know, you know, obviously I came from the governor's office, and the biggest duty I think we have this year is to make sure that Andy Bashir gets four more years in office, and I think he's done a fantastic job. But I can also, you know, tell folks from from being around the governor 
that there were times, you know, as everybody knows, there were some pretty trying times these last four years. And, and he w- we would be in his office and he would tell us, you know, this may cost me politically, but we have to do this to save lives. And so, you know, and just to see that and, and the way he's handled so many of these situations so well and putting Kentuckians and, and people first was was pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and so, you know, really proud to have worked for him and in, in all that he did to help Kentuckians in so many different ways, which I think, you know, we talk about now a lot, but it, it's a pretty amazing you know, the, the number of jobs created, the infrastructure investment, the investment in, in bridges and water and broadband, it's it's pretty amazing. So to see that firsthand and when we would get those announcements and we would see those coming down the pipeline was, um, and to help him to communicate that to, to hundreds of thousands of Kentuckians was, was was you know, you know something that, that, that I really appreciated being able to do, which is really, it was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a very rewarding job. Both of them sound like a very rewarding job. So uh, I'm glad you've had the opportunity to do both of them. We think you did a good job of both of them, for sure. So, um, you know, uh, it is kind of a I part was nicer of- to Michael Adams in my previous job than I am in my current job. That's <laughs> <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> that does make a lot of sense. Yes, that's very true. Um, uh, you know, it is kind of part of Kentucky political culture for people to, to kind of rest their hat on how long the, themselves or their families have been uh, in Kentucky. A lot of people telling you, like, which neighborhood they're from or like which 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 fork of which creek they, their family uh residence is from or whatever and, and you know you you're a texas native you you came to kentucky as an adult and uh you know you've lived here for a long time but one of the things i think is really interesting is you've worked a lot of races across the country you've you've worked for a lot of different kinds of candidates you've worked against a lot of different kinds of candidates so kind of talk to us about how all of your different kinds of experience working for candidates across the country uh, you know is is helping you uh, as as you are uh, the executive director of the KDP and, and working in this election. Thank you for that question, Robert. I, I've been fortunate that I have been able to work a number of races. You know, now working on this gubernatorial and worked on Senate races and a presidential race, and then last year in this particular position, you know, being able to work with you know legislative races and and some other races up and down the ballot. But you know, county clerk races and those. But I do think it's it's good and it's valuable to have you know to see how things are done in different places. So I think there's some things that are very similar about campaigns, and I do think that there's some, some things that you know that are done differently. So I think it's just good to have you know different perspectives, and, and have met folks who have done it you know different ways in different places. So I think that's really helpful. I will say I, I, I am a Texas native, grew up in in, in Lubbock, Texas, but I am a you know I live in Kentucky by choice. We've been you know we moved away and moved back, and so while I've done all these works, all this work on, on campaigns, my 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 base during that entire time has been in Louisville. My wife and my daughter are in Louisville. And so, um, you know, th- we, we think a lot about this state and it's you know, part of why it's so important to me and to us, because uh, it is a family affair. Um, you know, it takes a lot of commitment from the entire family, um, you know, to, to make sure that we get Governor Bashir reelected. We think it's really important to the future of the Commonwealth. You know, for, and I say as someone, uh, you know, has a seven year old at home. Yeah. So let's talk about the election. Kentucky's election this fall is likely the most closely watched election in the whole country. And You've been working on the party's campaign since stepping into the role. Um, so talk to us a bit about the party's efforts um, on the campaign and, and what the party has already done so far to support the Democratic ticket. Absolutely. So I feel really good about where we're at. I mean, it's it's still going to be a grind until the till the very end, up until every single vote is counted. And uh, ho- hopefully, Dan and Ali, hopefully there's no, no funny business, Edward, but it's going to be... Um, 
you know, work right up again until we make sure that, that everybody gets the opportunity to vote and that those votes are counted. But, you know, probably, you know, there's a decent chance that as we sit here speaking that, you know, our organizers and our field staff have knocked on the 500,000th door. So we're already at a half a million doors. Um, that could be happening at any minute now. We feel really good about those numbers. That's a pace well ahead of 2019, which is a pretty unprecedented number of doors that were knocked in Kentucky. We're aiming for 1.3 million doors. You know, they, in 2019, the, the volunteers and field staff hit on 1.1 million doors. So we feel really good about that. Mm -hmm. Over 600,000 calls that have been made. Um, there's, you know, we have close to 100 organizers that are on the ground throughout Kentucky. And we have 12 different field offices that, that they're working out of that, again, are spread from, from east to west and then in our urban areas. And so, again, I feel really good uh, about where we're at. But, again, we're, we're going to continue to go and build. And and I know, you know, Robert, you and I talked about this a little bit. For, for those who are interested, we will continue to hire up until November the 7th or pretty close to then to, to have folks out on doors. And so if anybody out there is looking either have some experience or looking to get your foot in door doors, you know, doing some political work, you can go to our website, kydemocrats.org slash jobs, and it'll show you the, the opportunities that we have then, and, and you can apply there. And so I sidetracked a little bit there, but we, we do have opportunities and in, in, in the, the good paying jobs, the good benefits. And so, again, we, we feel good about the, the work that we're doing. We work with all of the statewide candidates. I think, you know, all of them or their teams know how to reach us, how to reach me, how to reach the chair. We talk to them regularly. We give them an update every single week on what the, the campaign is doing, you know, what the coordinated campaign is doing, give them an opportunity to ask questions and have feedback. We're helping them to put out signs. I think if you saw the, you know, the great showing that we had out at Fancy Forum, we had organizers with signs for every single one of the candidates. And so we're trying, you know, a couple of the candidates that, you know, know that th this is a place where they can come in. Um, you know, we can help them with with data, with targeting, with com communications, with digital. We just try to be helpful to them in a number of different ways. I think you all would probably agree. We've got a great ticket top to bottom, and I feel really good about the candidates that we have out there and, and their resumes, and we're trying to do whatever we can to, to get them all across the finish line. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about how the coordinated campaign differs from the official campaigns that each of the candidates are running and, you know, like what kinds of communication or any coordination do you have with the official campaigns? We have a lot. Again, as I said, we talk to them quite a bit and you know, want to be a resource to them as, as much as we can. And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, every campaign is going to have a different level of resources and what they're able to do or not be able to do. And so we want to be able to fill in the gaps as much as possible we can. A big part of what we're doing for them is, you know, is outside of the day-to-day the -day campaigning they're, they're doing is, is just the field operation. You know, most of the field operation this year is coming through the coordinated campaign. So all those organizers who are knocking on doors and every single piece of lit that, that our organizers are putting out, out there have, or almost every single one, they have commit to vote cards and sort of thing, but a huge portion of the, the literature that they're putting on doors have every single one of the, the statewide candidates on there. So doing what we can to, you know, obviously the, the governor is a huge priority and it's important to the party and to the state to get Andy Bashir reelected. And we're going to do that, but also to make sure, you know, that, that we help the, the rest of the ticket as well, too. Because, again, we, we have a great team. 
Yeah, we definitely do, and there has been a lot of work done. I mean, I, I go into the offices, you know, as, as often as I can, and it seems like everybody's really well organized. Everybody has a really good uh, handle on what they're doing. And yeah, if anybody is interested, definitely apply for those jobs because they're a great opportunity to get good political experience with a good team right away. I mean, you learn how to cut turf, you learn how to organize events, you learn how to manage volunteers. Uh, you can use that later if you want to run for state legislative office or county office or whatever. This is a really great way to get your foot in the door. So um, apply for those jobs. If you're interested for sure um but yeah the election is uh, over in the fall uh you know that, that i don't know how we're feeling about that probably good i think it's, it'd be it will feel uh, at least a, a little bit of relief when it's over um but that doesn't leave us a lot of time just a couple of months before the filing deadline for legislative elections in 2024 um and you know uh the party has a pretty significant hand in recruitment and everything for those offices so we just want to know what the party's doing right now to prepare for those elections, uh, you know, that, that, are, that are just happening just a couple of months or that, that need to be filed for just a couple of months after the, uh, the governor's election is finished. Well, the cycles in Kentucky are pretty brutal when you have these back to back to back cycles. You know, I think we may talk about that here in a minute, in a minute with, with, with reorganization, but um, it, it is a lot, but that said, no, there's, you know, there's no breathing time. And so while 2023 and the statewide races are absolutely critical and we have to do what we need to do to, to get our folks elected, Democrats elected statewide. We, we, we haven't forgotten about 2024 and we've had regular conversations with legislative leadership. I know you had Representative Stevenson on not that long ago, who's absolutely fantastic and knows as well as anybody how to grind it out. And he'll talk about this some, how to grind it out in these really, really tough elections. She won by 37 votes, I think last year. Um, and so she and other legislators and you know some of their caucus team is, is going out into communities across Kentucky, talking to local leaders, talking to party leaders, talking to people who might be interested in running. And a, a big part of what we're trying to do is just be an asset and a resource if there's ways that we can be helpful in, in, in recruiting. So a lot of that is, you know, we, you know, allowing them to run with the ball on that, but just being here, if there's anything we can do to help provide again, you know, just like with the statewide candidates, you know, to let the local candidates know what we can or can't do. And so let them know we can help with targeting. We can help with some communications and some digital and help the, you know folks get off the ground. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the work that, uh, that the party's been doing for, for kind of like laying the ground for some of these legislative uh, races. And it looks like it's high quality. It looks like it's uh, you know, stuff, that, stuff that hadn't always been done in the past. So it seems like we're already off to a pretty good start. Um, you know, I, I will say that there were a lot of people uh, disappointed in the number of races that were left uncontested in 2022. Of course, that was in the throes of redistricting. Uh, we didn't know the map we were using. Uh, and, and then, of course, like that threw a wrench into a lot of people's plans to run. Um, the districts they thought they were going to have changed under them significantly and their chances to win, you know, evaporated, certainly just based on where they had to run. But uh, you know that that's uh, that's you know that is what it is. Uh, but you know we don't want to leave as many races uncontested this year as, as uh, next year. So you know you talked about working with the the different caucuses and everything. Um, do you feel like we're in a position now that we're going to have more Democratic candidates on the ballots for state legislative office this year than we did in the last cycle? Absolutely, hope that's the case. I know that they've been working hard. The, the, the this current leadership and, and not they did before, but I know that that's been a priority for the leadership that's in the caucus now to go out. And again, we've stayed in touch with them about that and the opportunities there. I think as we look at this, we, you know, you just, the biggest priority one is making sure that we focus on reelecting our incumbents. And so for Representative Stevenson, Representative Roberts, uh, Representative Roarks, so many of these folks that are in these really, really tough districts that we make sure that we do what we can to be supportive of them and make sure that they get reelected. 
And then, you know, after that, look at these districts where there, there is a, the greatest chance of a pickup opportunity and focus on those. But we, you know, we want to get as many good candidates in as many places as possible. Cause I think it, you know, it's helpful up and down the ticket to, you know, and for some of these places also we'll have local races, you know, just to have folks that are in these communities that are well known that share our values that are able to talk about, you know, what Democrats stand for. And, and you know, also, you know, some, some of the, the great things that are being done, being done by the administration as well as, you know, as far as delivering on, you know, infrastructure projects and jobs and some of those. So I think really we've got a good story to tell. And I think that, there, that some of these last four years have been transformational. I think they can continue to deliver a lot of promise to folks. So I think Democrats have a really good opportunity uh, moving forward, you know, to talk about some of those excesses that we've had. You mentioned redistricting. You know, I think that was, you know, a huge challenge when, you know, literally when folks you know, had almost no time. Well, some folks signed up, Robert, as you know, some folks signed up in a legislative district, Republicans redrew them out of the district. And then, you know, some, some moved to another district or some already had folks in it or, or, you know, so it made it really, really tough to recruit folks when they didn't know what the district was going to be like. And so it, 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 you know, is unfortunate that we're still now where that, that lawsuit is still, um, pending in, in state court, but we do have a, you know, uh, oral arguments have been set. So that's been set for this month. And so I think, you know, hopefully we'll have more resolution by the time that comes. Those, those arguments are set for September the 19th. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. So I'll skip it. And I'll just say, you know, we do have a lot of work to do. Um, we have to defend, we're going to have to defend Sherilyn Stevenson's seat in Lexington. And, you know, we're going to have to defend Pamela Stevenson's seat because she's going to be attorney general and we're going to have to win that special election too. So, you know, <laughs> that's going to have to happen as well. I like it. The dynamics in those two uh, districts are a little bit different, though, Robert. Indeed. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. So the Democratic Party reorganizes itself every cycle, and the KDP is due for a reorg soon. And there are several people who favor moving the reorganization to the middle of the cycle, um, but that decision has yet to be made. Is the party doing any work to prepare for the reorganization that might happen next year? So... As y'all know, we do. We do. We reorganize every four years. Robert and I have been through this process. I think we may have met during that process. That or, or me helping one of our, our leaders get, get booked on your show. And then we talked about reorg after that. So all the fun things. Um, but um, all that said, you know, we had heard these discussions. And so the bylaws committee for this is you know, the, the fun inside baseball part. But the bylaws committee had looked at some options. And so the chair appointed a committee to look at this that has some county party chairs, some other party leaders to just look at the positives and negatives of having it in a 2024, 2025, and then, you know, every four years after that and what that means. And so they, they've been meeting, um, you know, we'll expect a report from them and then we can make a decision as a party on, you know, with knowing all the positive and negatives uh, as far as what makes sense. As I mentioned earlier, it is really tough when you have these years where it's just back to back to back cycles, you know, to just give the, an opportunity to, to look at everything. And so we're looking at that and hopefully we'll have a report from them soon and, and we can have a better idea of you know, what the recommendation is and, and, you know, just kind of take everybody else's temperature on what we want to do moving forward. Cause it's a significant change. It would be changing bylaws and the way we've historically done that. And so we just want to make sure we take everything into consideration when we do. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless of when it does occur, where can people find information about how to get involved in KDP reorganization? On our website, that information, that process is is not you know ramped up yet. It's not there, but you know on the KDP website would be a good place to to find that information. 
yeah um that that is going to be a wild process whenever it occurs like it always is uh it's 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 a fun time sometimes it's a stressful time but it's always uh it's always exciting um you got a lot of stuff you're working on right we have elections this year we got elections next year we got reorg we got people making phone calls we got people knocking doors we got people doing all kinds of stuff across the state if people want to get involved with the democratic party whether that's as a, a volunteer in the field whether that's uh you know somebody who wants to maybe run for office or maybe that's somebody who wants to be involved in more of the organization of the party how can they reach out to you how can they reach out to somebody at the party and how can they find all that information absolutely our, our website and uh, some of the information on there is a little bit different we we rebuilt that some but and so we're still getting some more information up there but our website is a great resource and we'll continue to add more on there kydemocrats.org but you can go on there for those who want to volunteer there's a volunteer link go on there you can you know couple different ways but one is it just takes you to our mobilized site our mobilized site is a great way to see where there's actual canvases that are already set up throughout the state where you can go out and join our organizers and other volunteers to go out and knock on doors in different parts of kentucky governor's website also has some good information to volunteer and get involved there as well so i think those are two really really good you know ways to get involved but the kentucky democratic party website kydemocrats.org and also again there's links on there but our mobilized page that just has opportunities for for folks to get in and, and get involved and you know that's knocking on doors but we'll also have some opportunities for those who you know knocking on doors is not their thing or who are unable to knock doors we also you know are ramping up our voter protection program we've hired a, a voter protection director you know to help make sure that every eligible Kentuckian is is able to vote and have that vote counted and so She'll be working to recruit folks that can help with poll watching and they can, you know, make sure, you know, help with answering our hotline. We'll have a hotline that'll ramp up in the near future for, you know, to help folks with any questions that they may have about voting locations or if they have concerns when they're at the poll, just to help facilitate and answer those questions. So we're, we're ramping all that up right now as we speak. All right. Well, Sebastian Kitchen, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you very much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you all for having me. Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a newsletter. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And we have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And last but not least, we are part of the Dimcast Network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.